Thanks for tuning into the latest episode of the Songlines and Tan Lines podcast, a place to take a momentary break from your day-to-day routine. Those returning, thank you. The support is greatly appreciated. Those new to this podcast, welcome. And if you like what you hear and are not a subscriber, don't forget to subscribe. Now let's pull up the anchor and set sail. On to the next song in my Summer of Live series. Honeydew. It's from the album Feeding Frenzy, an excellent concert album released in 1990, and it was among the first albums I ever bought by Jimmy. Love this live album. Very underrated in my mind. And here's a bit more about it from BuffettNews.com. It was released on October 15, 1990, certified gold on September 16, 1992. It charted at number 68 on the Billboard 200. And Buffett News also says it was recorded August 1990 in Atlanta and Cincinnati. And there's a little liner notes on this one too, like the last one. It goes like this. Playing for a living, not many people got to do that. It started for me back in 1966 when Johnny Youngblood taught me three chords on the guitar. I did it to meet girls. It worked. Fortunately, that wasn't the only thing I accomplished. There were more chords to learn, and more importantly, a lot of lessons in living like discovering how valuable a sense of humor is to us modern creatures. I found myself in the role of troubadour slash court jester. In medieval times, the court jesters were given the inevitable task of amusing the king and queen, especially if bad tidings were the fare of the day. My idea of a tough job would be waiting to go on in front of the court and have the king's aide tell you that he had just informed the king that he had lost a war and then say, you'd better be funny. Things haven't really changed that much, 
And as the cards have fallen, I see myself playing the gesture to light speed chord of current events. But there's a real difference between those days of old and the summer of 1990. Today at my shows, it is the people in the audience who wear the costumes, not the performers. I play to a variety of bird people, shark people, and lizard people. Parents bring their children. Children bring their parents. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would ever see the day I would be considered family entertainment. And those are liner notes Buffett wrote for Feeding Frenzy. Now, on to the revisit episode this week. Two episodes from one of my favorite Buffett songs, West Nashville Grand Ballroom Gown. I included two because one episode is an overview of the song and the other episode is a Q&A me and the Audible Ecstasy crew did concerning the song. Enjoy. Don't these lyrics just paint a scene? Standing on side of the Highway 4 exit, a lady in tie-dye, a bag by her side, not really looking like anything special, saw Tennessee tags and she waved for a ride, sat right beside me as the meter hit 60, explaining her travels and her family background. When she got through, I could not help but thinking she's a long way from a West Nashville grand ballroom gown. Can't you see Jimmy driving down the road, country music playing loudly, windows down, and he spots this lady standing on the side of the road, thumb in the air. She's probably dressed in bell-bottom jeans, maybe a flower in her hair, tie-dye shirt tied up so her belly is exposed, arms a bit tan from walking so much. He pulls the car over and he asks her, need a lift? Where are you heading, cowboy? She asks. Nashville, eventually, he replies. Just drop me off before you get there, and we will get along just fine. He smiles and opens the door. She climbs in. They introduce themselves, and then they set off. Did this incident happen? I don't know. Is the song purely fiction? Again, I don't know. But picking someone up like this back in the early 70s was probably commonplace. You see a stranger on the side of the road, and you just naturally stop and pick them up. You couldn't do that these days. You really have to be a lot more careful now, and maybe you should have been more careful back then. Who knows? I was born in 1972, at the end of 1972, December of that year to be exact, so I have no true way of knowing how it was in the early 70s. But after the flower power years and the free love movement, it may not have been such a bad time after all. Yes, there was Vietnam, and America and the world, for that matter, was recovering from it. And there was the gas shortage in the 70s as well. But I think overall things flowed better back in those days. No cell phones, no distractions, no Facebook, no Twitter, no internet. I mean, I couldn't do this podcast without the last one. But still, time moved differently back then. I don't mean to start off this podcast with a long rant, reminiscing about times gone by. But sometimes my hands get to typing and my brain has to follow. I have no control over it. I guess that's why I write books and short stories. I have a knack for getting long-winded. And if you need to read one of my stories, my name is Anthony Renfro. And my stories are all over Amazon, Nook, Apple, and Kobo, just to name a few. And I even have a short story with a parrothead vampire in it. Yes, you heard that right. 
It's called A Vampire at Christmas. Okay, if you are returning back to this podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. A million thank yous. I am taking a virtual bow right now. If you are new here, welcome. Now let's get back to today's song, West Nashville Grand Ballroom Gown. A deep cut on Jimmy's album, Living and Dying in Three Quarter Time. And a couple of songs on that album you may recognize are Pencil Thin Mustache and Come Monday, his first top 40 hit, reaching number 30 on the Billboard Hot 100. It always seems to me like those two songs came later on in his career, but they didn't, and they have been around for a very long time. Now back to this episode's song, a cornerstone song for me, and I'll explain that further in a moment. Let's listen to a bit of it now, shall we? Again, Jimmy, don't get upset. Just trying to grow the brand. Six hours later, we hit Cincinnati. Yawning, she woke and then asked where we were. When she found out, she said, I must be going. This close to Nashville was too close for her. I stopped by the roadside and I gave her five dollars. She took it then kissed me and gave me a note. She told me just to read it and mail it in Nashville. On old loose leaf paper to her mother she wrote. She said, Mama, I'm fine if you happen to wonder. I don't have much money, but I still get around. Church in near 36 Sunday. So fuck all those West Nashville Grand Ballroom gals. Such a great, smooth, mellow song. A cruising in your car kind of song. A song perfect for a lazy day on the beach, or your back patio, or hell, sitting on a deck overlooking the mountains. I guess what I'm driving at is this song is perfect for anywhere you are at any time. And this song was one of several cornerstone songs for me, songs that built my Parrothead fandom. When I heard this song for the first time, I knew Jimmy was someone who was going to be special in my life. There is something about this song, the way it tells a story, almost like it is a short story with words and music. I can see the car, nothing too fancy. Jimmy had made it too far on the success, success train at this point in time. I can see the girl. I know her backstory by the words he penned. She's obviously been someone held down all her life. Someone pushed towards a goal she didn't want. And one day she just said to hell with it all and simply walked away. I can see the mom stunned to silence after a slap she didn't mean as her daughter simply walks out the door and out of her life for good. That is the power of the words in this song. It paints that kind of picture in my mind. And that is why I fell in love with West Nashville Grand Ballroom Gown. Such a powerfully written song. Jimmy Buffett really is showing how great a songwriter he is. And he is the sole and only writer of this song from what I've found on the web. Bravo, Jimmy. As I do each episode, here come some facts. And thank you, Set List FM, for this information. This song has been played only six times by Jimmy in concert. W-T-F. If a man my age can say that six times... Six effing times. Wow. Jimmy, please dig this one up and put it in a set list again. Please. 
Drop five o'clock somewhere. Drop brown-eyed girl every once in a while. And for the love of all that is holy, please, please play this song live again. And if you want to know when it was played live, it looks like 1974 was its hottest year. It was played in January of that year and again in October of that year. And April of 2019 was the last time it has been played live. At least it has been played recently. And it looks like 2018, 1997, and 1975 were also the years it was featured on tour. Kind of stunning to learn those facts. I would have thought it had been played more. Todd Snyder has played it at least 36 times in concert, in case you want to know that, which is good. At least it is getting played live somewhere. I've heard that version. It's good stuff. It's different, but uh, very good. Um, Seek it out if you have the time. Thanks again for listening. Time to set sail. Fins up. Guys, welcome. Thanks for doing this. Um, Are you ready to get started? We are. Thanks for having us, Anthony. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's get into it. What we're going to do tonight is answer five questions about the song West Nashville Grand Ballroom Gown. And it's going to work like this. I'll ask the question, I'll answer the question, and then I'll pass it off to the guys to answer the question themselves. So, first question is, what do you think of the song West Nashville Grand Ballroom Gown? Is it a, is it a favorite, an occasional listen, or one you only listen to when playing the album? And I answered this like this. It is a favorite of mine. It would be in a top 10 if I ever made one. Um, it's actually probably number two right after Woman Going Crazy on Caroline Street, which I think might be my number one. I hate to admit it, but it probably is. Um, and I always love this song from start to finish. And I never tire of it. So, Jimmy, what are your impressions of the song West Nashville Grand Ballroom Gown? It's uh, the song reminds me of a, just a hint of sadness to it. It's about a. I think about the girl that struggles, uh, or she had struggled and ran away from the struggles. I think that this is more or less an an occasional listen, or one that I would listen to when listening to the album. I, this is not a favorite of mine. Um, I listen to Jimmy for a more positive vibe or a more, you know, happier vibe, so to right. speak. Um, but right. no, dude, uh, it's an occasional listen. It's pr- and it may lean to when I listen to Living and Dying. So uh, yeah, I think that's how I stand on that one. Okay, Chris, how do you stand? Yeah, as uh, as far as I, I, this is one that that I would probably only listen to when playing the album. Uh, but let me clarify when I say that. Uh, most Jimmy Buffett songs, the, the way I like to listen to Jimmy Buffett is to listen to an album from beginning to end. Uh, so, you know, that I don't take that as a negative with me saying that. Uh, I feel like that's the way his his music's meant to be listened to, playing an album from beginning to end. I'm not one that throws like a playlist together and shuffles it or anything when, when it comes to right. Buffett. I, I like to hear it the way it's meant to be heard. And, and I do love the song. I think it's a great song, so... But as far as that first question, yeah, I would only listen to it when playing the album, probably. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Jimmy's good about putting them in order like that. His albums flow well together, so. I agree. Definitely, definitely. Um, Okay, next question. What were your first impressions of this song? And my answer to that was, 
my younger brother somehow got me into this album. I think he got it from the library back in the day when they used to rent library rent from the library. I don't know if you guys remember that or not, but they used to rent oh, yeah. like VHS tapes and mm, records yeah. and all kinds of crazy stuff back then. And, you know, he started playing me the songs and all that jazz. And then I heard this song. And then I heard that F-bomb uh, that Jimmy dropped in the middle of that song, which I was, was totally startled me because I'd only really heard, you know, the big ones like Come Monday and Margaritaville and such. So to hear that guy drop an F-bomb, I was kind of like, okay, kind of interested now a little bit. <laughs> you know, maybe he's got a little more edge to him than I thought he had, you know. So I kind of checked him out and kind of flowed from there. So this song is really one of those, I've said it in my podcast already, a cornerstone song for me. You know, it was it was right there at the bottom for me to really get me started. So, Chris, what is your answer to this question? Well, I think first impressions are that this shows kind of Jimmy from his roots, uh, which is country, really. I mean, he started out in Nashville. And, uh, you know, you hear this and you don't hear the beach sound that goes with what most people think of when they think of Jimmy Buffett. Uh, and then I, then I thought a little more about that question. And I realized this song was released in 1974, right as the Vietnam War was dying down. It's basically a song about him picking up a hippie girl that's like a hitchhiker. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, uh, it is kind of sad hearing that, but as far as how parents and, and children kind of were strained relationships during that right. time, almost you can kind of see it today in today's political climate. But, but uh, I feel like... Uh, there's probably a whole lot of that that went on back then. A whole lot of of young kids protesting the war, and a lot of parents just wanting them wanting them to get beyond that and live their life and not, uh, you know, become professionals and what have you. And yes, it you know I, I almost think it has a bit of that to it as well. So uh, yeah. it's a deeper song than maybe you might first think when you listen to it. That's exactly why I started this podcast. So you hear songs like this by Jimmy, right. and not. You know, just think of all the five o'clock somewhere kind of songs. You know, he does have deeper songs with deeper meaning meanings. So, Jimmy, what are your uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to clarify that uh, when you made your little five o'clock, when I think of Buffett, uh, I don't <laughs> even think past about eighty five. Really? With the exception of a couple of albums, there's two You're albums that stand out. out. <laughs> huh? You're missing out. Well, it's not that I'm missing out. I think there was a preference. I I I appreciated that earlier stuff. I think. The, my first impression of this song, to go back to the question, it absolutely, um, uh, maybe twofold. I know that it didn't really strike me as a great song. However, right. I'd never heard him cussing a song before at that point, <laughs> I don't believe. Yeah. Um, and it really kind of got me off guard. And knowing a little bit about his history now that I didn't know then, I think maybe he might have been throwing a little bit of that aggression toward the actual country music scene that shunned him for years. So I feel like maybe that was his sad song to Nashville himself. It, part of this song is a self-telling of this tale. I, uh, like Chris said, this is one that, you know, I won't skip it when it's playing the album, but if it was to come right. up on Spotify, I'd probably go to the next song uh, just really? because I don't know that it's something that, uh, <sighs> You got to admit, man, anything from, gosh, pre, what, 87, 90, you're pretty much listening to it from start to finish as yeah. a, as a ritual, if you will. And that's, yeah, and that's, you know, that's, that's how it was introduced to me. And I can't remember which one of you two introduced him to me, but I know it came from one of you guys, no <laughs> doubt about it. Chris. And when I, 
And when I started it, I got I dove headfirst into the seventies. So, well, but I mean, you know what? Yeah, man. Are arguably his golden decade. So, well, it is. Yeah. And I uh, and I appreciate what he's done afterward. The man's had a just a tremendous career, but <laughs> almost fifty years. Yeah, it's amazing, man. I just like I said, first impressions. I didn't really like the song. I didn't skip it. But hearing it and thinking about possible meanings that I've grown older, because at 21, 20, 19 years old, right. I wanted to drink beer, dude, and listen to this guy <laughs> talk about partying. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I, I, I felt I like it's kind of what it was, but as I matured, I'm kind of getting the vibe that he had in these songs, because I really do think this song was maybe a little bit of a smack toward Nashville from him, because he was be. starting to find success. Yeah. You're stealing my thunder, Jimmy. I had that in my f- closing thoughts. I was gonna say. So. <laughs> oh, dude, my bad. My bad. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, that's just that's my opinion, brother. Yeah, he had a hard time in Nashville, and he finally gave up, and went to the beach. Uh, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, six times this song has been played in concert. Is this enough, or should it be played more? Should it be a concert regular? And I don't think it's enough, and I think it should be played more. But it shouldn't be a regular on tour, <clears throat> as much as that pains me to say. Um, it just wouldn't work for his concert, his crowd. You know, the, the legions that he's built these days, it wouldn't work at all. Um, there are just a few people who would probably get into it, like me. So it, it really wouldn't work in concert, I don't think, very much. So what do you think on that, Jimmy? Anthony, I, I partially agree with your statement. Um I think the song at six times, yeah, it's definitely not enough. I kind of would expect him to play that one a whole lot more in the 70s. Uh, uh, but you know what? I think maybe he should break it out once in a blue moon, you know, not necessarily um, a regular tune. I think maybe once a tour, perhaps, and make it very special. Of course, this song may not have the same meaning it did to him, you know, 46 years ago or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I don't know if I'd want to, if I, if I'm at a Buffett show, I don't know if I want to hear the, the sadder ones, the slower ones besides maybe right. the come Monday. Cause that's a crowd pleaser. We all know it, but I, you know, I don't know, man, it, it, this would be the, <laughs> I hate to say this with the younger generation, this would be the bathroom break song. Probably would be, but he's made amends with Nashville since then. So maybe oh, he's yeah. a, he probably wouldn't play it now out of that reason. So Chris next, what do you, what do you think? Well, I don't think six times is enough. This is a too good a song to have only been played six times. Uh, I don't think it should be a regular either. I think maybe two or three times a year or a tour he should maybe play. You know, there's a lot of times when he pads in space for, for a, like a you know to improvise whatever he wants to. Like that an night. acoustic thing, right? Yeah. And, and if he could maybe play it two or three times a tour, that might be good. Uh, but you're you're right, Anthony. I don't think the the gen, general population would <laughs> would appreciate this song as much as, as yeah. the diehards do. All right, next question: If introducing Buffett to someone, would this be a good song to play for them? If so, why? And I think it would eventually, but I think you would have to mix it in with heavy favorites, and kind of just sporadically, you know, let let people hear the beach songs. Hear the ballads, hear the country songs, hear the uh, rap songs he has. If y'all have never heard of Otour du Roger, check that one out. <laughs> that is a funky Jimmy Buffett song. It's gonna be I'm no Russian. You wouldn't know those kinds of songs. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, what do you think, Jimmy? All right. So, you know, Anthony, 
I would say that I partially agree with your answer. Um, my opinion is it depends on what the person's musical preferences are. If this person is country driven or folk driven, I would absolutely start them down at that end of the spectrum and not necessarily focus on the favorites from the seventies, maybe introduce. And my point would be, I would introduce an album at a time from those, from that era. Yeah. Um, that's pretty good. Now, if it was somebody who was more into a poppy type, listen, you'd want to get to the more, yeah, you know, the changes in latitude album, you know, the, the fan favorite stuff that, that typically you'll hear right. show after show. But yeah, man, I, you know, it depends on the person I'm going to share with. I, for the most part, probably not. But if it's that folky country person, absolutely. I, I think they would dig it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. That'd be a good way to bring somebody in, whatever genre of music they like, kind of give them. Sure. Because Jimmy has so many ranges, you know, between pop to country to, to whatever. Chris, what, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think for a complete novice, it may not be a good introduction to Jimmy Buffett. But I think if you're somebody who knows the the greatest hits, uh, it's a good way to show his versatility and uh, show his countryside, show his kind of humble beginnings, if you will, and show everybody that's not all beach music. And while most people go to the shows to see the beach music, there's more to Jimmy than that. So I think it's good for for a, a, a starting out fan to, to understand that about Jimmy. Yeah, that's a good answer. I can I understand that too. Um, okay. Are you a paired head, an occasional fan, or do you just enjoy the hits? The last question, the big question for the night. And I think you guys know my answer. I'm not a parrot yeah. at all. I'm sorry, folks. I'm a lie. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a parrot <laughs> oh head so far in that I'm making my friends do this podcast tonight with me. So <laughs> um, I think it kind of answers your questions, my own question. But uh, what do you guys say, Jimmy? Are you a parrot head or not? <laughs> you know, I would say that I am not a true parrot head. But I would have said in the 90s, I think I would have fallen under that spell because yeah. I was going tour, tour, tour. Every time they came through the Carolinas, I was I was there once uh, once you guys introduced me. I mean, straight up, you guys know it. I was there. Y'all have seen him more than I have. But, you know, um, I was appreciative to see it for that four or five year span that I was able to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, however, I am absolutely a I'm more than an occasional fan. I don't just enjoy the hits. Actually, I like the hits less than I do his his older catalog, if you will. And I know that some of the hits are in that catalog, but I am I'm kind of stuck in my ways. Yeah. Uh, you give me A1A. If I was to pick one Buffett album, I'd grab A1A. I can listen to it probably until the day I die. I love that album. Yeah, and I also, you know, I, honestly, I love Changes in Latitude almost the same way. And geez, I mean. So many of those '70s albums are great, man. Um, but no, I, I can't honestly say I'm a parrothead. I do appreciate it. Um, you know, the wildness is gone in my, you know, from my from my ways. Exactly. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I think I'm more an occasional fan, but I'm definitely not going to be at the level of somebody that's, you know, at shows every summer and any anymore anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, A1A was sort of his, I think, line in the sand moment where he sort of started going the other direction once he got past A1A. A little less country, a little more beach vibe. Mm-hmm. Right, so, right. So I can understand that. So what do you say, Chris? Yeah, sadly, I, I don't consider myself a parrot head, uh, but I, I do think of myself as more than just a casual fan. Uh, I'm somebody who, who likes to pick a random out, or random album out and do a deep dive with it and 
and listen the whole thing all the way through. And sometimes that could be Coconut Telegraph or somewhere over China or something oh. rare, you know. So I don't really think a Greatest Hits fan falls under that category. But, no, I'm not at every concert when every time it comes around. And uh, in the past, I have seen him a lot and I've enjoyed it. Uh, so I, I guess if I had to put myself on the spectrum, it'd be a little closer toward parrot head than than in the other <laughs> direction. But I'm somewhere you're in the tilling, middle, I guess. You're tilting toward uh, the parrot head side. Uh, maybe, yeah. All right. Well, that about wraps it up. Um, any final thoughts from you guys? Uh, yeah, I think Jimmy, like I said, stole my thunder there. I was going to point out that I felt like this is Jimmy Buffett's middle finger to the city of Nashville. Uh, at least the country music industry. The very next album was A1A, and he was off to the beach and yep. really didn't look back after that. So, Yeah, that's very true. Well, I, I just wanted to say something, Anthony. I, first of all, thank you for inviting me, because as you know, I'm, sure. I'm absolutely, between the three of us, I'm <laughs> certainly the most likely to be metal, if you know what I'm saying. Exactly. But I do appreciate and still listen to Buffett to this day. It's just not as much as, as I did when right. I was in, my, you know, in the 90s, for sure. Right. Um, I love the deep dive stuff you're doing. I absolutely yeah. like getting reminded of the songs that I have forgotten. Right. And a lot of these I have because I don't, I don't really go back and, and seek out the tunes that aren't the famous ones. I go back and listen to the albums. Like Chris says, you know, yeah. whenever you, whenever I do something, when I travel somewhere, some people may grab that, uh, the greatest hits or whatever. I'm going to grab, I'm just going to grab a couple of albums that I right. love and I can listen to all the way through and, and appreciate for what the album was made for. Right. Uh, but yeah, man, this I, this is this has been great. I certainly have appreciated, it, and I certainly hope anyone listening has appreciated it because this is a it's just a great experience going back to songs that I really don't know like yeah. you do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wish uh, I wish I could uh, play the whole song, but I'm kind of afraid of getting dinged each week. I probably wouldn't, but I'm kind of afraid of it. All right, well, guys, like I said, I appreciate you doing this for me. Uh, it's a it's a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I'm gonna wrap it up here. And, you know, since you guys had your final thoughts, I guess we'll just close it here and we'll talk again on the Audible Ecstasy blog. Sounds good. Thank you, Anthony. All right, yeah. Anthony. Thank you, buddy. Okay. Later, guys. I messed up a bit at the very end of the Q&A. I edited out a lot of stuff, mistakes, coughs, my ramblings, things like that. But I couldn't take out the part where I said Audible Ecstasy blog. That would have ruined the flow of the conversation. What I meant to say was Audible Ecstasy podcast. I have been blogging for so long that my brain still automatically adds blog instead of podcast. I wanted to clear the air, so no confusion, and it helps my OCD. It would drive me nuts not to mention that mistake. Alright, that's it. Time to set sail. Fins up. Let me drop anchor here and close out the episode. You can hear my voice talking about music on the Audible Ecstasy podcast and talking about horror on the Nightlight Tales podcast. And stay tuned after Honeydew plays, I'll be reading a bit more of the Tale of the Golden Pirate. Arr! And don't forget to check out the show notes where you can find all my social media areas, where to buy my books, and my Patreon page. And if you enjoy what you hear, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. That's it. Thanks for listening. Cheers and aloha.
Honeydew. Yeah. Honeydew, declare, I'm getting a little bit hungry like that song said. How many people want a cheeseburger? All right, back to the tale of the Golden Pirate. Remember, Amazon, ebook, and paperback, Patreon page for $1. Let's go. Parson and Vicky had parted on terrible terms, her cheating on him, but that guy had dumped her soon after. She had tried to come back to Parson, but he was strong enough to deny it. She was now married to a wonderful husband with a son and another one on the way. They had climbed Marriage Mountain and succeeded. Somehow, they had survived. He checked his watch and pushed the thoughts of her back into that dusty corner where they belonged. It was mile seven with one more to go, feet so light he thought he was floating. Parson pushed on as Angie and Tony caught up to him, coming back in the opposite direction. Both of them half marathoners with a marathon for each of them, surely on the way. They had completed their miles, and now they were running back to him so they could all finish together. How's it feeling? Angie replied as she took her place beside Parson. Tony got in line behind them. The legs are great. How far up did you go? Not too far. Angie was sounding just as chipper as when she had started this long run. It's amazing what a few years difference in age can make in the human body. We thought we would finish with you so you wouldn't be lonely. Isn't that sweet of you? Parson replied sarcastically. The three of them finished out the run together and then stopped to take a cool down walk. Once that was done, they went back to their cars. Angie left quickly with a kiss to Parson and a goodbye to Tony.